well, Gail and I collect coffee mugs, okay? And before you go out and all buy us a mug for Christmas, you need to understand that, okay, like we get mugs from the places where we've been, places where we've lived, places that are meaningful to us. We are drowning in mugs, okay? I don't need any more mugs. We're just, I'm just saying, we really, really like mugs. We both have a cup of hot tea every morning together. She usually has a cup of coffee, too. At the same time, we will talk about her caffeine addiction in another sermon. But um, she, man, she gets it going, you know. But at nighttime, it's often, you know, a cup of decaf tea as well. I mean, we just really like hot drinks. We like our tea. I have the job of choosing which mugs go from the cupboard to the coffee bar at our house I have been known to move mugs around a little bit so the colors look better. Um, she'll say sometimes, do you have a mug preference? And sometimes I do. We don't get out much, okay? I'm just saying it's the little things, but we like coffee mugs, okay? And of the dozens and dozens of mugs that we own, this mug right here is the most expensive one that we've ever bought, okay? It was about 40 bucks for this mug. And the irony is we can't drink out of it. Okay, it's not because it's so valuable, it's not because it's too fragile to be washed, it's not because it's a work of art. We've never been able to use it for its intended purpose because it was broken when we bought it. Now I want you to kind of tuck that phrase away in your mind. It was broken when we bought it. We'll come back to that in a minute. Back in 2018, Gail and I went up to Niagara Falls together on vacation, and we stopped at my sister's on the way, and we spent a couple of days there. And because we like mugs, often when we visit somewhere, we will look and see what kind of mugs they have, and we'll choose our favorite mugs, not to keep, but we just choose to, to use them you know, while we're, while we're there. And so Gail chose a mug that was just beautiful. She really was drawn to it, and she was using that. And my sister looked at it and said, oh, that's my favorite mug, which was the kiss of death. Because within about 30 minutes, the mug had been dropped and broken, and um, I won't point any fingers at how that happened, but anyway, the mug uh, did not survive. And so, my sister did not know it was broken, we went upstairs, you know, with the words ringing in our ears, that's my favorite mug, and we're on the internet trying to find the exact same mug, okay? And when you're looking for a very specific mug, and it's obviously not a Walmart mug, you kind of have to pay more if it's the one you want and you want it shipped to your sister's house. And so we ordered this mug and we told her the story the next morning. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. But we felt a whole lot better knowing that her mug was going to be safely back in her cupboard, at least one just like it, right away. And yes, we kept the broken mug. I glued the handle back on it. Here it is, my $40 mug that we can't use. And we can't use it because it was broken when we bought it. And you know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of me. The Bible says that we were bought with a price, that God bought us, that Jesus paid the price of his blood for us, and the truth is we were broken when he bought us. But he bought us anyway. We're going to walk down through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. This is a beautiful explanation of our mess and God's rescue, our sin and his salvation. This, this passage, these 10 verses, is like a cliff notes to the whole book of Romans. 
It's like a summary of the gospel right here in 10 verses. And I want to show you four specific phrases within these 10 verses that I think are especially powerful. Here's how the chapter starts, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of wrath. That's the phrase I don't want you to miss. It's not especially flattering, but it's the cold hard truth. Because of our sin, God was angry and his anger was directed at us. What did Paul say? We were dead in transgressions. In other words, there was no life in our spirit. He said that we followed the ways of the world. There was no desire to be holy, just worldly. Even worse, he says that we followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's talking about the devil. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12? Our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The ruler of the air, the ruler of the heavenly realms. There really is an enemy, the devil. Paul says that we gratified our sinful cravings. We didn't have the guts to say no, we just did whatever we wanted to do. And and therefore, we are, we were, objects of wrath. I read in my study this past week that the natural man, the natural woman, just the, the current state of those who don't belong to Jesus, we are at the mercy of the tyrant of self. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We're at the mercy of the tyrant of self. And the reality is we are all broken to one degree or another. That's why God was angry because all of us have this stubborn rebellious streak somewhere down in there. I want you to imagine, just hypothetically, that last Wednesday I was going 58 miles per hour on the road in which we live. Gail and I kind of live out in the country. We live on 523, that state route. The speed limit's not posted very well. I think it's 45 miles an hour. Let's just pretend that on Wednesday I was going 58 miles per hour. Now, you might be thinking, you know, if that's true, should he even be a pastor? I mean, is that okay? You know? I mean... And that's fair. I mean, if it's true, I'm a lawbreaker, okay? There we go. But let's say, hypothetically, that while I was driving 13 miles per hour over the speed limit, some guy is just riding my bumper. I mean, he is on top of me. He's almost in my back seat, okay? And then all of a sudden, in a no-passing zone, he goes flying around me and just whips right around and just takes off flying. Which kind of reminds me of this guy that got pulled over one time for speeding, and the police officer walked up to the window and said, Sir, may I see your license? He said, Why can't you guys get organized? First, you take my license away, and then you ask to see it. Okay. All right. All right. So, anyway, here's this guy who's riding my tail. He goes flying around me. He takes off. And, you know, immediately two things came to mind. Hypothetically, if this were true, two things came to mind. Number one, he's an idiot. And number two, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Instantly, he's an idiot, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. And isn't that how it works? 
We see the sin so clearly in other people, and we don't see it in ourselves. We see how bad other people are, and we feel better about ourselves. Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee who thanked God for how good he was. He felt so good about himself when he compared himself to to robbers and adulterers and evildoers. He didn't compare himself to Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, you know. Although even Billy and Mama T, as I like to call her, anyway, uh, you, you know, they're still lawbreakers too. Maybe they don't break as many laws as some people or didn't. But you know what? We are all lawbreakers. The book of James says that once you break one law, you're a lawbreaker. And so we're all in the same boat together. And what does that make us then? Objects of wrath. There you go. Doesn't feel very good, but that's what we are. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you be mad at somebody and love them at the same time? (laughs) Oh, man, of course you can. Anybody who's married, anybody who has kids, anybody who has loved anyone longer than the infatuation stage knows that you can be mad at somebody and you can love them at the same time. Listen, this is important. Just because we were objects of wrath, that does not mean that God hated us. Look what it says in verse 4 here. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because of his love, That's the next key phrase. Because of his love, his great love, Paul says, because of his love, we have been saved. We were objects of wrath because of our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion, but he still loved us. He still loves us. And because of that love, Paul tells us three quick things here. Actually, he uses three specific Greek words that all start with the prefix sin, as in S-Y-N. That prefix means with. So he says, God made us alive with Christ, God raised us up with Christ, and God seated us in heaven with Christ. Even though we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Jesus. And even though we've all fallen on our face over and over again, God keeps raising us up with Jesus. And even though our lives here on earth are sometimes broken and they're really messy, God has seated us with Christ. Christ in heaven. And this is the crazy part. He doesn't say that someday we will be seated with Christ in heaven. The someday part is here where he says the incomparable riches of heaven will be someday in the future. But he says we are already seated with Christ. Friends, if you belong to Jesus, you've already got a seat at the table. There is a place reserved for you. Your spot is secure. Eternal life does not start after we die. Eternal life begins when we surrender our lives to Jesus. We repent of our sins. We confess him as Lord and Savior. We're buried with him in baptism. We we got to see two people get baptized in first service today. And we make those decisions, and eternal life begins. Now, life might still be really hard, but eternal life is now. Even though... We might constantly take three steps forward and two steps back, and we're constantly struggling. Eternal life has already begun for those in Christ. The incomparable riches of his grace in heaven 
for some day. But today, right now, eternal life has begun in Jesus. And all of this is because of his great love. I went to Israel several years ago. I've told you before about that. I was with a group of pastors, and the guy that I roomed with was named Vince Antonucci. And Vince said something I thought was so profound. He said, love not nails kept Jesus on the cross. Love not nails kept Jesus on the cross. You remember the gospel writer John. John was a a follower of Jesus, one of the first apostles. And and most people think, from what Scripture tells us, that John was Jesus' best friend. Now, it's not like he was playing favorites, but when you've got 12 guys, and one of them is Judas, when you've got 11 guys that you can kind of pick a best friend out of, I mean, the the truth is you can't like them all the same. It's too many people. You're not going to be super close, exactly the same, to 11 guys. There's just naturally going to be some that you're closer to than others, and maybe one or two that become kind of best friends. And so John became that guy. And do you remember how John describes himself when he's talking about himself in his gospel? He doesn't call himself by name. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And I used to think that sounded so arrogant. I don't want to overstate the point, but I'm Jesus' best friend. I'm I'm kind of a big deal. I mean, that's just what it sounded like. But then I heard somebody explain it in a whole different light. And they said maybe it wasn't like that at all. Maybe John couldn't believe that Jesus loved him. He was shocked that Jesus would care for a guy like him. It's like he constantly felt like he needed to pinch himself because he couldn't understand that Jesus could like somebody like him. Maybe instead of reading it like, hey, I'm the one Jesus loves, we're besties, you know. Maybe it's like somehow Jesus likes a guy like me. And there's surprise in that. It was love, not nails, that kept Jesus on the cross. And he even loves people like you and like me. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were broken when he bought us. You know why? You know why all this is so powerful? Verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's our next phrase, saved by grace. Grace is is the unearned, undeserved favor of God. Somebody made an acronym with the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And maybe you want to say, yeah, 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 but I'm a pretty good person. Doesn't matter. You're not saved because you're good. You're saved because of grace. You say, yeah, but, man, I have really cleaned up my life. If you'd have known what I was like before and what I'm like now, I'm telling you, man, I'm nothing like I used to be. That's awesome, but it has nothing to do with the conversation. Because you and I were not transformed because of willpower or because of 12 steps or because we're fed up with the former way of life we had going. Those are great things, great things. But transformation, true transformation comes by God's grace. It is by grace you've been saved. It's by grace. Grace through faith. Faith is a trustful response to God's offer. I read that this week. Grace is a, excuse me, faith, sorry, faith is a trustful response to God's offer. Faith doesn't earn grace. Repentance and baptism don't earn grace. 
Those things are our trustful response to God's offer. It's like faith is saying yes, please, when God offers us grace. The faith is the yes, please part. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. It's a gift. It's not by works, Paul says here. You know why. Well, for one thing, if we could earn it, we would be so proud of our accomplishment, instead of being in awe of Jesus, we'd be in awe of us. We go around singing, amazing me, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like I used to be before I cleaned up my act and got better. It just doesn't have a good ring to it at all. That's not the point. Another thing, if we could earn our own salvation, we'd start to think we deserved it. Well, you know, hard work and determination and focus, and I was finally able to pay God off. Right? The debt has been paid, and my salvation is free and clear. Look, it's not like paying off your truck. It's not like now it's finally yours. We can't earn it. It's a gift. Another reason it's not by works, if we had to earn it, we'd never know when we had done enough. How many nice things do you have to do? How many times do you have to say no to temptation before you say, finally, I've got it. And then every time you had a bad day, or every time you took a step backward, every time you fell off the wagon, every time you, took, you, you sort of wandered off the path a little bit, you'd start to think, well, I wonder if I lost what I earned. I had it paid off yesterday, but now I don't know. God is not going to repo your salvation. Well, he towed it off while I was at work today. It just doesn't work that way. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Good works, good deeds, those are important, okay? It's always better to be a good person than a bad person. I stumbled across a quote this week that I liked. A good person inconveniences himself for the sake of the community. A bad person inconveniences the community for the sake of himself. It's always better to be a good person. Serving others is better than waiting around to be served. Treating others well is better than treating them badly. At the end of the day, it feels better to be selfless than to be selfish. It's just that none of that earns us anything. None of that makes me a worthy person in God's sight or you either. God doesn't look at us and say, wow, you're really awesome, or even, wow, you're really awful. It's just that he gives us grace. Not by works. So then, where does that leave good works? Are are they nothing? Are they meaningless? Are they insignificant? Of course not. Look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to do good works. Our purpose is to do good works. We were saved to serve. Or as Paul says, we were created to serve. Listen, this is really important. We weren't created just so we could not do bad things. We were created to do good things. Like there was a purpose for us being made, all right? We all have something that God wants each of us to do. And if you don't do your thing or I don't do my thing, that thing might not get done. Now, look, I'm not saying that God can't get done whatever in the grand scheme of things that he wants to get done with or without you and me. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. All I'm saying is that God uniquely positioned you 
and me right where we're supposed to do the most good. And if we drop the ball, there's nobody in our exact same spot with our exact same gifts and our exact same circumstances of life that is perfectly positioned to do whatever it is that we're supposed to do. And I believe God has something we're supposed to do. I mean, let's go back to our, our mug here for just a minute. Right? This mug is not valuable for how it performs. It's valuable because it was loved, just like us. It's valuable because of where it came from, just like you and me. It was broken when we bought it, just like us. And in spite of the brokenness, it is still useful, just like us. See, you might look at this mug and say, oh, what a shame you can't use it. We use it. We just don't drink out of it. Gail has this mug on our bathroom sink in our, off our bedroom, and she keeps her toothbrush and toothpaste in it. And that's not a very glorious thing for a mug, but it's functional and it's helpful. And even though this wasn't designed to be a toothbrush holder, it serves its purpose well. It could have ended up in the trash, but it didn't. I could have glued the handle back on it and stuck it in the back of the cupboard where we got a lot of mugs and we never would have let it see the light of day, but, but we didn't. It sits out on the counter and it's beautiful and it serves its purpose and it's a great reminder that sometimes broken things are still useful. The broken things don't disqualify us from service. Sometimes it, I think it even takes brokenness for us to find our true purpose. That's the bottom line today. That sometimes it takes brokenness to reveal our true purpose. That's just the beauty of the gospel. That's how God works. Reminds me of the sermon series we did a couple years ago where we said, my mess is my message. My mess is my message. That God takes the mess of our past and he uses it to tell his story. God takes the regrets of the past, sin, addiction, failure, and he allows those things to build a bridge with other people who are struggling. And so our very story becomes part of God's story. Sometimes he uses our scars to help other people heal. Sometimes it takes brokenness to reveal our purpose. I love how Paul says this in verse 10. He says we are God's workmanship. That word is poema, which is where our word poem comes from. I think you could argue that instead of just saying we are his workmanship, which sounds a little bit like a product that you use and then you get rid of, that this could be translated that we are his work of art, that we are his masterpiece, that we are his magnum opus, his most beautiful creation. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That God made us for a purpose. And that's why we do good works. It's not because we have to. It's not because we're trying to earn something. It's not because we're trying to repay a debt in some way. It's just why he made us. He created us with a purpose. It's our why. We don't serve to get saved, but because we're saved, we serve. We were saved to serve. That's just the way it works. This is our ultimate purpose in Christ, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And sometimes even our brokenness is what reveals our true purpose. When you came in this morning, you probably received a handout. And if you didn't, 
their Summit Welcome Central when you leave. And what it is, very simply, is a list of serving opportunities here. And look, I know that many of you serve around here all the time. In first service, man, Bobby and Anita uh, Burkett have been leading worship in there since I've been here every week so faithfully. Our band members rehearse about three hours every week to lead in second and third service. Our elders, Jeff and Don and CD, man, they, they lead and they pray and they, they, they gather together to help set the direction of the church. Pat Jackie, man, she just manages the church finances and she pays the bills and she helps lead women's ministry with Sherry Reed and she organizes meals for people. I mean, just amazing. Ricky Burba put all the new wood on our picnic tables outside and then Mo Longus came along and he stained and sealed them. Mo is one of our new members. He plays in our band and I'm not exaggerating. He shoveled like four tons literally of rock last month out back around the 99 building because he likes to serve. Our communion was prepared for years by Susan and John Downs, Robin and Jamie Magruder, Art and Carol do it, Donna Longest is a part of that. Dan Boudreaux came along as one of our newer members. A man, he helped gather a team together and they cleaned fence rows out all around here, did all kinds of work. You look around, you see Peggy and C.D. Marksberry and you see June and Joe Ballard and man, they're constantly greeting at the door or working in the flowers or serving in the kitchen. Several of you made food this week for Libby Harbin's dad's funeral. One of our newest members, Nicole Smith, started working at the, at the AV booth back there doing the slides. And man, she, she likes it so much, she comes every Wednesday night to help with rehearsal for the band because that's really helpful. And Casey and Aaron Knight, excuse me, I'm sorry, Casey Knight and Aaron Clayton have um, done our soundboard every week. Adrian Fanner still organizes that team for tech stuff. People like Carlene Ritter and Oakley Knight, they just say yes to anything that needs to be done. And I know the danger of mentioning names. You start mentioning names and all the people I forgot to mention. All the people who are serving so faithfully. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. We have people who work in the nursery and preschool and elementary and middle school and high school and just work with kids. We've got people who greet and people who host and people who make coffee and people who clean up and people who send cards and people who make furniture and people who volunteer out in the community. Darlene Miller's getting us all set up for our Thanksgiving dinner at the Go Center because we just can't all fit in here for a meal anymore. Jim and Mary Bailey deliver meals for on-the-go foods, which I think is awesome. We have Rose and Angie and Sierra and Dawn who work at the Outreach Thrift Store, and it just goes on and on and on. And even with all those people serving, there are still more needs because as long as the church is meeting needs and growing, there's needs. And that's why we passed out those sheets today. It's not to pile on to the people who are already doing seven things. If you're doing seven things, you can make an airplane out of that piece of paper, okay? Do not tell us you want to do more. But what I'm saying is all of us ought to be doing something because God created us to do that. That's who we are. It's what we're for. We are saved to serve. It's our why. The proof of God's grace in us is that we get to let God work through us. It's our purpose. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So I'm just going to encourage you to fill out one of those sheets and find a place to serve if you don't have one. And you're not signing your life away if you fill one of those out. All you're doing is saying, yeah, somebody can reach out to me with some information and I'll see about maybe doing something. Serving is what proves our love for the Lord. Sometimes in our brokenness, it's how we reveal it's how God reveals our purpose to us. 
it's probably been 10 years ago now that I was at a conference uh, and I got to hear a guy named Jeff Walling speak. And Jeff spoke that day and he told a story about a man in this church named Daryl. Daryl is a helpful guy around the church, quiet guy, not, not an upfront guy at all. But he sometimes would drive the church van and the teenagers needed somebody to drive them to the nursing home to do a little service there. So Daryl said he would go as long as he didn't have to go inside because those kind of places creeped him out. And so he rode, or he drove the van, but he decided to go ahead and go in anyway. He felt bad staying outside, but he sat in the back. And he didn't talk to anybody, but they wheeled in this old man, and he sat next to him, and during the prayer at the end of the service, this old man reached over and took Daryl's hand, and they prayed together holding hands. And then he left, and he said, man, he just couldn't get that guy out of his mind. So the next time they went, he drove again, and he went in, and Daryl sat down, and this guy was wheeled in, sat next to him during the prayer, held hands again. And that time he said, hey, what's your name? Mr. Leak. And he started to pray for Mr. Leak. And they would, he'd go to the nursing home, and he would push him back to his room after the service. They'd always sit together. They'd always hold hands during the prayer, and they would talk about themselves and their families, and they got to know each other. And then Daryl just started going to the nursing home to visit. And he'd go see Mr. Leak, even though the kids weren't going that time. And he would visit this guy, and they would share together. And, and, and Daryl, in his brokenness, because we're all broken, found a place to serve out of brokenness. And then one time he went, as Jeff Walling told the story, and the kids were there for a service, and Mr. Leak didn't come out. And so he went down the hall after the service to find out what was up, and the nurse said, I'm sorry, he passed away last week. But the nurse said something that Daryl said he would never, ever forget. She said, before he died... He said, would you tell Jesus, thank you, and I miss him. And she said, Daryl, he's talking about you. You were Jesus to him all these months. And that's the beauty of serving. Whether you serve in some big, splashy, upfront kind of way, or you serve in some quiet way where a little old man holds your hand during a prayer. Because God created us with a purpose. We are his works of art, and we get to do what we do to be him to somebody. Let's pray. Well, Father, we praise you that you sent Jesus to save us, to rescue us, to pull us out of the, the mess that we were in, that we were objects of wrath, and because of your love that you've saved us by your grace. And that's a beautiful thing. But we weren't, we weren't saved just to sit. We were saved to serve. And God, our prayer is that you would use us to your glory, whether that's in some kind of big way or some tiny little way that nobody's ever going to know about but you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to serve well. Help us to show our gratitude to you by making a difference in somebody's life. God, we love you. We thank you that you've called us to this. We give today. We give our lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.